Hey, what's up, podcast? Hope you're keeping safe. We have a real special guest this week. I think you guys will love her. She's the owner of Forum Community Relations here in Calgary. It's a Calgary-based consulting company dedicated to promoting and creating space for meaningful engagement. She's an expert in Indigenous relations. She's worked with over 60 Indigenous communities, organizations across Canada on economic development, community engagement, training, and education. She loves people. She loves people's stories. Talk about building connection, how to build connection, and that crazy transition from nine to five cushy job to going on your own and trying to learn the ropes of entrepreneurship. Well, I hope you guys really enjoy it. Once again, email me if you have any feedback. I really appreciate it. Your feedback is gold to me. My email is joe at codesta.io and enjoy the podcast. Happy to be here. Jump right into it. Um, yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, kind of your origin story, how you became to be where you are today. For sure. So um, I was born and raised here in Treaty 7 territory in Calgary. Uh, my heritage is Welsh and Swedish. Uh, ancestors arrived east coast of Canada and uh, central Ontario back in the 17 and 1800s, but I was born and raised here um, and grew up kind of a middle class white girl not knowing much about uh, Canada's history uh, with Indigenous peoples. And and so I had an opportunity when I was in university to do some volunteer work with Indigenous youth on some of the reserves in and around Calgary and, and in an urban context as well. And from that experience, I learned that there's this whole part of Canadian history that most Canadians don't know a whole lot about. Um, and that we've got sort of a real opportunity in front of us to to build relationships with with Indigenous and all Canadians. And, and so that sort of sparked a, an opportunity for me to learn more. And, and as I explored what career opportunities there might be, um, I discovered that there was this emerging field of Indigenous and community relations at the time. And so just did a lot of reaching out, coffee chats, talking to people, um, worked to to get into that uh, that field in in the energy sector. So I spent a dozen years working in the energy sector for Shell, Petrocanada, and, and finally at Suncor. Um, but also along the way, sort of kept this this passion growing for for working with communities in a lot of different volunteer spaces. Um, and actually had a side hustle in the consulting space for about 10 years before uh, last year, actually, I made the jump to uh, resign from my position, uh, my cushy full-time position, and, uh, and take the plunge to, to start a consulting practice doing this work. Um, and still do some consulting back with, with Suncor, but uh, also have the opportunity to, to do a lot of work with other governments and uh, private companies, nonprofits really just helping to build that capacity for improved relationships with Indigenous peoples. Very cool. Just for our listeners, just to give them a little bit more uh, context, what exactly is Truce and Reconciliation uh, Commission's calls to action? Yeah, for sure. So the Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, was struck in uh, 2007-2008 in Canada is when it started. And really it was to look into understand the history, the truth of residential schools as a government policy. So for over a century in Canada, 
um, our government uh, sponsored residential Indian residential schools. And so uh, those schools were compulsory for so kids didn't have a choice. Parents didn't have a choice for many, many decades uh, for to remove them from their homes and, and have them in these institutions. Um, where there's and then documented a lot of um, a lot of abuse and just sort of that intention of assimilation and and sort of taking the Indian out of the child uh, was sort of the I guess talking point behind the intent and so um, with the government apology in 2008 for those schools this commission was struck to hear the stories to document the evidence of what happened and, and sort of that history of colonization in our country that, as I said, many Canadians don't, don't know. Um, and then in 2015, the uh, commission released its report, which had 94 calls to action. So those are specific calls to Canadians. They're not, you know, they're for Indigenous Canadians, but for the most part, they're for all of Canada in, in terms of what needs to be done or what could be done to change our systems in order to um, to address the, the wrongs of the past, to create a better future forward, um, where prosperity doesn't in this country doesn't relate to to your heritage, I guess, which is kind of where we've been in the past. Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, building that bridge amongst uh, Indigenous and all Canadians is very important. Stepping back into uh, your career, what were some of the things you wish you had known when you first began your career journey? Fair enough. I um, was thinking about in high school, my mom sent me to this career counselor and he did all these personality tests and what, you know, those sort of you tick off all the different boxes and then it tells you you want to be a plumber or something. Um, for me, it said you're going to be an entrepreneur was what this uh, these career counseling tests revealed and I was so frustrated at the time because I said of what like what am I going to invent what am I going to do that what is an entrepreneur and and sort of cast that aside and built my career based on my passion and what I was most interested in and and where I saw an opportunity to to learn and grow and so I think when I sort of reflect on that, and of course now being an entrepreneur, um, I never could have foreseen that. I never knew this was a thing that like that I could own a business, um, consulting and helping supporting organizations and leaders to strengthen their relationships with Indigenous peoples. And so I think the advice would be to not um, not focus on labels that really you're guided by the work that you do and what you can offer. And it doesn't particularly matter what it's called or what title you have. Um, as long as you're doing good work, that's that's recognized and that's what will drive you. Also having that passion as well. I think that's a big driver. That's sure. really cool. What, what's a big challenge? It could be a current challenge or a challenge you faced in the past. What did you learn from it? Hmm, I think when I think about sort of challenges in navigating my career is, is along the similar lines of not not necessarily needing to fit into a box. So I think for a number of years, um, you know, after I got over not necessarily knowing what it meant to be an entrepreneur, um, I, I bought into sort of that corporate space of um, climbing a ladder, right? Like we talked about climbing the corporate ladder. And so how do you move up in an organization? These are all terms that, that people use frequently. And, and a number of times I, I sort of had to take a step back and go, but is that what I want? Is that like, what, why, why would we want that? And I think from, from the entrepreneur space, again, I constantly 
sort of have messages of growth and that's growth and climbing and up and, and bigger is better. And, and I think just really keeping the focus on what's important to me. And so for me, the opportunity to, to have my own business is more about balance and harmony and contribution um, for myself, as, as you said, having that passion and, and just being able to make that contribution and feel good about what I do um, rather than building an empire. Um, so I, I think just that challenge of the messages that we receive and, and I guess typical business messaging um, and really having that focused on what's right for me, because growth is absolutely right for some people and climbing that ladder and that next step up is 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 what is fulfilling and what people want, depending on where they're at. Um, but just really having that challenge to focus internally on, on what's right for me and, and to keep that, I think, is, has been tough and I'm trying trying to stick with it. Yeah, a lot of our listeners either have their own business or have the uh, side hustle. But how did you find the transition from uh, the corporate ladder climbing to having your own business? Yeah, I think I mentioned um, my side hustle started about 10 years ago and, and very much was on the side, was sort of a couple facilitation or workshop or training gigs a year. Um, so I wasn't particularly building that actively um, until probably the, the last two years, I'd say, uh, before I actually made that transition and and had watched some colleagues and some friends who who had also made that transition and, and sought their advice. Um, so I think that's number one is is learn from others. Um, so understand people who are working in, in a similar space and and the similar type of business and, and sort of learn what's what's tricky for them and how you might be able to um, avoid some of those pitfalls or what you might want to do differently. Um, for me, my business is relationships. So my reputation um, follows my personal reputation and being able to to work effectively um, with organizations and with communities is is my business. And so that was a really important part for me that in order to be able to have that credibility and to build, to get contracts, um, when I went out on my own was establishing those relationships, you know, years before uh, I actually was available to, to work on my own. Um, and so really taking that thoughtful approach of, of laying the groundwork, of, of building, building the infrastructure for business development um, before actually leaving. I think a lot of consultants get really excited and they have something to offer. And so they go out and quit their job, go out and into the world and, and find that it can be really tricky to chase contracts, especially if you're cold calling or uh, just submitting proposals. And, and so really building that network um, early or having that business development strategy uh, figured out uh, before before launching was important. And then the other thing that I did was um, had arranged a couple of contracts that are sort of a monthly basis. So uh, sort of the deal I have with my family is there's this one contract with a nonprofit that I have that is is basically for me equivalent of EI. And so I was on maternity leave at the time and went, okay, well, if we can make it work with with just this as a baseline, then everything else is gravy. And so that took a lot of the pressure off. Um, just having that uh, consistent contract took the pressure off from that constant business development chase that I think a lot of consultants feel the, the need to always look for more contracts, always secure more business. 
um, just knowing that, okay, I'm good enough where I am. And now let's just put this out into the world and, and see what comes from it. And, and it's been a great experience to, to sort of have word of mouth come, come and find me for different things pop up with different partners or colleagues I've had along the way. Um, and, and really have that opportunity to grow and grow and build, I'm going to say on my terms. Absolutely. What would you say your, it seems like you have lots of, uh, go getter uh, mentality, like many other entrepreneurs, but, uh, what would you say, uh, is like a unique skill that you, you have that's helped you become uh, successful in your endeavors? So I've had this, a couple of comments recently from colleagues, um, about my the way with words that I have, or I guess sort of the way that I am able to take complex um, complex subject matter like Canada's history with Indigenous peoples and and reframe it into ways that are more easily relatable or easy to understand and and then do something with and um, I, I credit and people have said how where did you learn how to do that and I kind of thinking about it. Um, I'll admit I was a debate nerd in high school and <laughs> university, so I did debating a lot. Um, and I think that for me really trained up sort of that think on your feet, listen on your feet, pay attention to what people are saying, um, and and then quickly be able to sort of reframe that so that people can understand. Because we all, we learn through story. Um, and and I think th- those are the points of connection. And so to be able to, to take take heavy subject matter and reframe it in a story that makes it more approachable, um, but still sort of real and, and connected is, is something that I've, I'm learning um, isn't super common. Yeah, speaking about stories and interesting insights, has there been any, anything you've read recently or listened to that's uh, really inspired you? Yeah, I'm just finishing reading um, uh, the book that came out last year from Jody Wilson-Raybould, so a former Minister of uh, Justice and Solicitor General, and the book's called From Where I Stand, and it's a collection of speeches that she gave over, um, I think, about seven years, um, but basically presenting a concept for how to reimagine Canada on with a recognition of Indigenous rights as was originally um, originally intended when settlers came to Canada and a bunch of trees were written that sort of said, hey, we're going to share the land together and nobody's interests are going to take priority over the others and, and we'll figure this out jointly as, as sort of equal nations, um, which of course isn't what happened uh, over the last 150 years. But uh sort of it's a roadmap or a bit of an idea of how to how that might look in the future from where we are today. And and it's been inspiring for me to sort of think of, oh, okay, there are some practical ways out of it. The how and, and how likely is it and what's the appetite for it is um, a bit up in the air and, and will only come if Canadians buy in to it, I think. Um, yeah. But but yeah, the ideas are inspiring. It's it's always exciting to me to to read about and and think about tangible steps that we could actually take to make progress yeah i read about i guess on your website that you're a a serial volunteer and i think it's very inspiring when uh, people in our community uh, really go above and beyond or try and connect and build community has there been or is there any nonprofits or uh, initiatives that uh, you'd like spotlights or feature for sure. And, uh, and I think volunteering has been just such a tremendous um, opportunity for me to, to connect, to connect and learn with community. I think in 
working as a settler in um, in the space of Indigenous relations, I, I I'm very aware of of my background and privilege and and the dynamics that that brings. Um, so learning from and walking with Indigenous uh, community partners has been super important for me. And I was very honored to be invited to to volunteer to support uh, the Indigenous Gathering Place uh, initiative in Calgary. And so a uh, little plug to Google Indigenous ga- Indigenous Gathering um, and so this is a, a grassroots Indigenous-led community initiative to uh, have a, a space, a physical space uh, for Indigenous people to gather and connect in language, in ceremony. Um, you know, we have over 500 places of worship in the city of Calgary, and not one of them is um, is intended for or geared around Indigenous uh, spirituality and ways of knowing uh, and ceremony. And so that's a huge gap. And, you know, you mentioned the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. One, That's one of the calls for action is for municipalities to establish uh, spaces for Indigenous peoples to gather and and connect with ceremony and with elders and to to share those um, those ways of knowing, as well as with all Canadians. And so having that space is um, just, I think, would be a tremendous opportunity and, and necessary for Calgary as as we find our way through what reconciliation means means for us as a city living being in the territory where we are. Speaking of Indigenous relations, is there, or I guess from the top of your mind, is there a common myth or something about Indigenous relations uh, that you want to debunk or put to bed? There are all the myths. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's uh, so many. Um, I I think, well, and, and as I say, like so many myths and misconceptions and stereotypes related to Indigenous peoples and their experiences um, and contemporary realities, I think just our education system has done a complete disservice to our society uh, and is getting better. And, and I think is, you know, I have a young son in grade one and, and the amount that he's learning is, is very different from what I learned when I was in grade one um, and, and the tone and type of information that he's getting. Um, but I think the, the most common assumption, I guess, that, that I hear referenced in, in the media or in casual conversation is is that they're all the same, I guess, is how I'll put that in quotes, or that there is an Indigenous point of view, or what does the Indigenous community think about this? And in Canada, we have over 700 different Indigenous groups. So there's 643 First Nations, plus Métis and Inuit communities um, and organizations. And so each, each of those has distinct language, distinct protocols, distinct history, ways of governing um, and, and sort of family structures and and just there is tremendous diversity within uh, the Indigenous peoples of Calgary or of Canada rather. And so, you know, think of it as a United or a, um, European Union, for example, that, you know, you wouldn't say to somebody from Italy, um, like, well, you're just European, that you're the same as somebody from Greece or somebody from France or somebody from England, formerly. Um, and and yet we do that with Indigenous peoples in, in Canada and there is tremendous diversity. And I think that's just the biggest thing to highlight is, you know, if you've met one Indigenous person, you don't know them all. Uh, and to not come with that assumption that you heard your friend's friend said something about Indigenous people. And so that must be true. Um, just there's it's 
complex and there's a lot a lot to be learned and that's what I love about it and and think is just I'd encourage humility and curiosity um, from from all Canadians uh, to to continue to learn and take each situation as it comes as as a unique individual circumstance. Absolutely. Being a person of color myself, diversity is a key issue um, when it comes to uh, whether it's race relations or what you're saying, Indigenous relations. Do you think there's any effective solutions to that myth or problem? Yeah, I think it's so a lot of it's attitude, right? Like a lot of it is just coming from from a place of humility and curiosity rather than a place of um, like privilege and, and arrogance, um, and, and I think that can be tough for people like in, in our, you know, in, especially in the business world, we are not used to saying we don't know things, um, or that we don't understand. And, and so that's, that's a bit of a shift, a bit of vulnerability, um, that people can approach with. And, and, and again, I think that genuine curiosity, um, you know, I, I think it is Canadians also, we don't want to offend. So we often, um, you know, we'll prep, we won't say anything or we won't ask the question because we don't want to offend people. And and I think we need to be okay to to ask a question that might have some language that's a little bit off or um, or sort of rub somebody the wrong way if it's asked with that authentic intention to learn and that authentic desire to to learn. Um, and and really, the answer to it all in my mind is education and relationships. Right? Like it's a lot harder to um, to generalize about a group's experience uh, when you've had a one-on-one conversation and looked into somebody's eyes and sort of felt the emotion of their experience that completely counteracts the stereotype. Um, so I think it is that relationship and it is creating those spaces like an Indigenous gathering place um, where people can comfortably connect because it can be kind of uncomfortable, the whole race thing. Um, but, but we need, we need to try, we need to be vulnerable. We need to be willing to, to step into those spaces. Building relationships definitely does help put some of the stereotypes and, uh, politically incorrect stuff to bed. And stepping back into your career, uh, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career in Indigenous relations or generally being an entrepreneur? Uh, so I think building your network is a big part of it. And, and I know, you know, the net, the networking sort of view can be, can have sort of a lot of connotations with it too, but truly it's, it's building, it's reaching out and getting to know people and uh, getting to know their story. Like that's something that is, is easily done, um, especially through, you know, we can now do it through LinkedIn and just make those genuine connections um, and, and understand what you have to offer others. Um, and, and also in the space of, of Indigenous relations, I'd say build your knowledge. Like, I will never know everything there is to know in this space, or if I ever thought I did, it would change tomorrow. Um, and so recognize that the more you know is, 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 and the more that you can articulate and explain is uh, hugely important in, in working in this particular space. And then um, the last piece I'll say is whether... Regardless, whatever uh, venture folks are, are getting into is to follow up. I mean, the number of people who I've talked to um, sort of interested in a career in this space or interested in um, in sort of taking an action to, to build their own business. And there's that sort of intention of following up or sending something back and then it never you never hear from them again. 
that tells that tells you everything. And so I, I think there's been fewer people who have actually followed up when they said they would than than those who haven't. And so I'd say learn how to follow through and follow up, and that will serve you well in pretty much any venture you take on. Just a few more questions here, Anne. How has Calgary changed from when you first started to now? I, it's bigger. It's, <laughs> it's growing. It's grown. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but I think it's, and, and I think a bit, a bit of this is just how, I, how is our world changing is an increase in polarity and, and just sort of, I, you know, mentioned it's, it can be tricky to be vulnerable and stay curious, um, about people with different experiences than us. And, and I, I think we've lost a bit of that, um, and are more, a bit more willing to just say you're either with us or against us, or it's this or it's that. Um, and so one of my volunteer roles as well is as a board member with the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. And, uh, one of the programs that's really promoted through, through the chamber is that we need to be having and conversations that we can talk about, um, energy development and environmental sustainability. And it doesn't have to be an either, or we talk talk about the economy and the environment, um, and that can be tricky to figure out those balances and trade-offs, but those are the conversations we need to be having. And I think um, we, we've kind of gone into a bit of a rabbit hole with, with the downturn in the economy. It, we get really defensive, and so it's an either with us or against us kind of thing, and just really shifting our language from or to and, um, I, I think is going to be really helpful and important um, to maintain our resilience and, and optimism coming coming into whatever is is next for our city. What in particular are you curious about though? How much of this COVID um, sort of the COVID shifts, I'm going to say, or pivots, like the things that are changing in our world, how much of that sticks um, once we have a vaccine and, and in a couple of years get sort of back on track. And so, you know, ways of working digitally. Um, I do a lot of uh, training in in my work, and so I'm delivering a virtual course right now with people from across Canada. And so I, I'm really curious how much um, the the pandemic will have accelerated change um, in in the way that we work together, and 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 even our attitudes about how we convene and and how we connect with with people. So the sort of the digital and virtual side of it. Um, but then also just curious about are are we are we just doing this right now, or are we forcing ourselves into into trying new things and innovating, and will we actually accelerate some of that change? Do you have any initial gut reactions to those questions? It's interesting. Like thinking about, I read an article, um, or there was a study on. I think it was about a quarter of people who typically work in offices and are now working from home. Um, about a quarter of the people would prefer to stay working from home. Um, and so so I think things like that, that it's probably not everybody, and and but there are probably some people for whom that would be a better work environment. And, and so will companies recognize that, oh, wait, we can actually make these accommodations for diverse needs, for diverse workers. And, and I think it presents a lot of really great opportunities for flexibility and inclusion. Um, back to our earlier conversation about recognizing sort of diversity within with in different groups, but from a workforce perspective, um, I, I think for many organizations it, it can be helpful to to go oh well, there are different ways of working that 
are more effective in some cases and, and maybe less effective in others, but really forcing us to try things, I think, um, will will have a positive impact. Yeah, I think we're all looking for what the new normal is going to look like at the other side of things. What's one question that you never get asked um, that you wish you would be? I love it. That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> it's an awesome one. Um, I, I don't think people ask me why I volunteer. And it's kind of a thing that I, as you mentioned, it's a bit, it's part of my identity and, and back to sort of my original story of what, what set me on this course of, um, in, in Indigenous relations as a career path, uh, was volunteering, was, was taking that opportunity to work with, with Indigenous youth. Um, and, and I would say I've done a lot of volunteering as well with, um, with my professional association, the IAP2, or the International Association for Public Participation. So it's basically um, people globally who do community engagement work, um, not just Indigenous relations, but more broadly as well. And, and I'd have to say, like, as, as somebody who I think I'm mid-career now, um, but in my early career doing that volunteering, um, I would say accelerated my my career path, like at least five years, maybe 10, um, just in terms of the connections I made, the the work that I got to do um, because it was volunteer. And so it didn't matter that I didn't have experience doing it, but I got to try it because I was willing to put in the effort and and just the relationships and skills and, and what I learned and who I met. So I, I think um, just volunteering as professional development is something I am a massive fan of. Um, and and would encourage anybody to do and has been just a huge impact for me in, in my career and business journey. For people that do want to volunteer but don't know where to start, do you have any good words of advice for them? I think if, um, so so there's sort of a different reasons why, why people volunteer, but if it is that sort of volunteering as professional development, um, then it's great to start with, with your industry association and many, many groups do. Um, have sort of that professional network and, and are often looking for volunteers to help um, put on events or create communications or content. Um, and so even just to, to connect and, and to do those pieces, that's, that's a big win. And then there's also um, formerly Volunteer Calgary, now Propellus um, in the city of Calgary uh, that has a connection to sort of all kinds of nonprofits. And so um there, there's plenty of uh, nonprofits that are looking for professional skills from volunteers that just really give you that opportunity to to try stuff in in a fairly safe way. Um, you know, I, I think our volunteer uh, management has not evolved to the point where people are really used to firing volunteers, which I guess can be a good thing when you're when you're trying stuff. Um, not as great a thing if you're in that organization and you just want to fire a volunteer. Um, but but yeah, I think it's is to do your research. There's a ton of volunteer organizations or nonprofits out there that are seeking professional volunteers, and then just ask and and you know have that interview about what you can get from it and the skills. Know the skills that you're trying to build, um, and and come into it with that approach. And and I'm sure there's plenty of organizations that that would be keen to to take you up on that. Well, thanks for the advice there, Anne. Um, you're definitely a wealth of knowledge and. Lots of great insights. Um, if our listeners want to maybe ask you some follow-up questions or just pick your brain a little bit, where can our listeners connect with you online? 
Uh, so yeah, always happy to happy to have conversation and, and uh, chat further. I'm at forumrelations.com is the website or uh, on Twitter, you can find me at, uh, at Ann K. Harding and that's Ann with an E. To the end of the podcast, I usually like to have the guests pose a question to the audience or um, a quarter story to leave them uh, marinating with uh, all the great insights. Awesome. Well, I think the um, sort of a theme for me is, is sort of always challenging uh, my fellow Canadians to to learn more about Indigenous people's experiences in, in Canada and to do that through you know, books, podcasts, movies, there's just a ton of information out there. So not knowing is is not really an excuse in my mind um, to, to not understanding situations or being part of it. So I just sort of what have you read recently or what have you learned or done to increase your knowledge about Indigenous people's experiences in Canada would, I guess, be a question. And um, I want to end with a, a quote from... Um, uh, a mentor of mine, um, Chief Dr. Robert Joseph, he started the organization Reconciliation Canada. And uh, just if you find any videos online of him, super inspirational and positive and, and just tremendous, um, just a bright light, I think, in in this reconciliation journey that we're on as, as Canadians and, and as a country. And one of the quotes from him that I love is, let us find a way to belong to this time and place together. Our future and the well-being of our all ch- our children rests with the kind of relationships we build today. 